This is Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. And on Tuesdays, we call it... Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg. As we tackle your marriage and relationship issues, and there's a number one issue we're going to tackle today. Martha, the number one cause of problems in marriage today? Money. And the number one cause listed on the divorce papers? Money. All right. So do you and your spouse (laughs) argue about money? Yeah, I most, I mean, if you're not, if you're married, if you're breathing, (laughs) if you're you're married and you're breathing, you and your spouse are arguing about money. At least at some point, not like all the time. That's right. Are money conversations always tense or is there a peace treaty between you and money? Why does money cause so many people, so many problems in their personal lives? Why is money and the difficulties dealing with it the cause of the majority of divorces? What do we do about it? Well, we've got a couple expert on, experts on the line with us today. We've got Rick and Cassie Lehman with us today from Beacon Wealth. These guys have written an article recently that I loved, and I said, Hey, Rick and Cassie, would you come on the air and talk to us today about your article, Marriage and Money, or Money and Marriage? All of a sudden, I'm looking for the name of the topic. Well, anyway, here we go. How about Rick and Cassie Lehman? Welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks. It's great to be here. We're so glad to have you guys here. Money and Your Marriage was the name of the article, and it was a great article. We loved it. And and because we know, just as you guys know as financial advisors, people do argue about money. I mean, it's it's a difficult thing. So before we get into that conversation, though, I I just want to ask you, Rick, we'll start off first. You know, gentlemen, lead out on this one. How (laughs) How does the I work for him message resonate with you? Well, first of all, you know, we acknowledge, just as you do, Jim, that uh, God owns our business. And, you know, we have the great privilege of being steward leaders of that business. And really, it's our platform for ministry. However, uh, unlike many of the guests on your show, it's a little different for us in that most of our clients are already committed Christ followers, and all of our employees are. So really, ours is more of a discipleship ministry. And uh, we're really in the business of helping folks make biblically wise decisions about how they plan and invest God's money. Mm, that's fabulous. So, Cassie, how about you? How do you see the I Work For Him message resonating? Well, of, co- of course, since Rick and I own our business together, it's very mm-hmm. similar. And uh, over the last few years, since I joined Beacon Wealth, I have really learned about what it means to be working not just for me and my personal success, but really um, giving it all over to God, acknowledging, you know, that everything comes from Him, and then, you know, how do we implement that in our business? And, you know, everything about how we work with our clients to the type of investing that we do really points toward uh, us aligning ourselves with our work as a ministry. Well, and when you look, let's take a look at that ministry side of it, because you guys in your practice, Beacon Wealth, you guys 
really work with the principles of biblically responsible investing. That's that's what we, we've talked about that on a previous show. Cassie, you wrote a book. I found Jesus in the stock market, which really talked all about biblically responsible investing. Talk to me about what what is it? Rick, why don't you get us started, and then Cassie will let you finish up wherever Rick leaves empty spots. But Rick, what is biblically responsible investing? So Kingdom Advisors, which is the organization that we belong to as a financial professionals organi- a phenomenal who are Christ, yeah. right, who are Christ followers. Uh, at Kingdom Advisors, we talk about biblically responsible investing is investing that seeks to please and glorify God as an act of worship. And that's the key thing uh, we want to emphasize uh, with our clients and with your listeners is that all financial decisions, because God owns it all, are ultimately spiritual decisions. Okay, but that that's nice, Rick. I like that. I mean, not to be sarcastic, but that's that almost was like a Sunday school answer. I really need some help here because because when you when you look at you know, I was having a conversation with somebody today this morning, and I mentioned to them a certain name of a certain insurance company. I said, and by the way, George Soros owns that insurance company. He goes, oh. Well, I guess I don't want to be doing business with that insurance company. I mean, Cassie, Cassie, how do you guys weed through and identify? I mean, biblically responsible investing means you're not going to invest in companies that have uh, values or invest in things or or give money to things that would be contrary to what we believe as Christ followers, right? Right. So just for people who have not heard of it before, there are really two sides to biblically responsible investing. The first part is a negative screening, which is what you're talking about, which means that there are certain kinds of companies and business practices that we don't want to invest in because it goes against our values, our beliefs, things like abortion, um, companies that contribute to Planned Parenthood, uh, pornography, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and gambling. That's just a few examples. So we don't want to invest in those companies. But then on the flip side, there's a positive side of that, which is we want to look for companies that are really looking to be a blessing in the world through the work that they do, through their, their charitable giving, And uh, people always say, I didn't even know there were such companies as that, but there are a lot of great companies out there to invest in. Well, and that's one thing you brought up on the the conversation we had several months back was that you guys compared, and maybe, Rick, you can answer this, but I know you guys both probably know this answer, but we'll pull you back in, Rick, so you don't feel left out. But you guys (laughs) compared portfolios that were invested typically in the S&P 500 kind of companies and company doing investments based on biblically responsible investing was there a difference in the rate of return do i as a christ follower have to take a secondary state of return uh, uh, on my investments because i'm not willing to invest in the things that the world normally invests in absolutely not and the study that you're uh, referencing there i believe is a study of the s&p 500 over a long period of time both as it is comprised right now versus how it would look if you applied our exclusion list, our our blacklist of companies we won't invest in. And while there's some short-term variability in returns, over long periods of time, they come in neck and neck. So there is no uh, penalty, if you will, for investing in biblically sound companies. You know, and I love that you asked that question, Jim, because of the fact that that is right where the mind goes. You think, well, I'm going to have to compromise. I'm going to have to give up something in order to stick to my values because that's kind of the way the culture lets us to believe that we're going to not be as 
strong or as, as good a business people or whatever the case might, however it's compared. And in our mind, we assume that that means that we're going to get less in return. And I love the fact that a study's been done on that. Well, and I really interestingly agree. enough, there's been a, a more recent study that just came out, guys, that clearly demonstrates, and I think this came from Deutsche Bank, one of the big Wall Street firms, that there is a positive correlation between applying values criteria to choosing investments, a positive correlation between that hmm. component and performance. Well, and, I, and I, this is a conversation. I wanted people just to be introduced to the idea. That's not the topic of conversation for today, but I wanted people to be un, uh, introduced to the idea. So if you're listening and going, hey, I don't know if my financial advisor is doing biblically responsible investing, well, ask them. And if they don't know, connect them to Rick and Cassie at Beacon Wealth. You can find out more. They can find Beacon Wealth online at beaconwealth.com. Very simple, beaconwealth.com. And have them find out. Because, Rick and Cassie, are you guys still looking to expand and find a solid <laughs> advisor in the Tampa Bay region? Yes, absolutely. We would love to have someone there uh, on the ground in the Tampa Bay area. Well, that's why I brought it up. I hope that was okay. That was just that little plug for you. As long as we have fifteen or <laughs> as long as we have fifteen or twenty thousand people listening, we thought we'd put it out there. Okay. <laughs> but you guys threw yourself into the fire with this with this article that you guys wrote, Money and Marriage. So let me just ask you this question. Why? Why did you what was the thing that led you to writing this article? Now, Cassie, since your name is on the article, even though I know Rick participated in the arguments that you guys had in your in your marriage <laughs> about money, but wh- wh- why, Cassie, did you write this article? Well, you know, we have the opportunity with meeting with clients or prospective clients all the time to see couples interacting. And I was going through this season of seeing these contrasts between People who, couples who were doing it really well and making great gains and um, really solidifying their marriage around finances, and those who were struggling or had found themselves in a very difficult position. All right, and, so we're going we're gonna to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. Okay. We, gotta go to, we're gonna, we get to go to break. When we come back, we're going to hear the rest of Cassie Lehman's answer on why they wrote this article on money and marriage. Find out how Rick and Cassie are working through these issues. Find out how Martha and I are working through these issues. Find out how you should be working through the issues of money and marriage. You're listening to I Work For Him together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg as we talk today with Rick and Cassie Lehman from Beacon Wealth about an article they wrote that I just loved called Money and Your Marriage. Now, Martha and I, as you guys know, Martha and I do a lot of marriage mentoring. And one of the very first topics, not the very first one, but one of the first ones right after we talk about communication is we talk to people about money. And because we have seen in the 20 years, almost 20 years of doing marriage mentoring, that money is a hot topic. And, and well, Cassie, right before the break, you were starting to talk about one of the things that drove you to write this article was that you saw that some couples... They were doing all right with it. And other couples, they weren't doing so good with it. Right. And as you can imagine, in our, our business, that kind of uh, floats over into my personal life, too. And I, I just really found myself thinking about these couples that were struggling, and it was breaking my heart. And uh, I really just wanted to put this article out there to talk to people, I guess especially young people, about how they can get started off on the right foot. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily give away the ending, but the big theme of where the problems start typically is when one person is in charge of all the money decisions. 
Mm. Well, I don't know if it's like a secret ending. We want people to catch <laughs> the deal. They, we want to know there is a solution here. Now, Rick, when she was writing this article, did did you guys work on this together, or did she write it and send it out and said, by the way, I wrote an article about you? <laughs> well, in the way we operate, normally how it goes is Cassie writes the blog and then sends it to me for editing and wordsmithing, she calls it, and I get to add a little flavor to it from time to time. We do the same thing. Martha does my editing and coloring and flavoring and sometimes cleaning up <laughs> where I've been, a little, I've been a little too blunt. But the beautiful thing then, Rick, is that you then know what's being communicated, right? That's <laughs> right. right, exactly. So, so do you guys have any idea why? I mean, you guys have, I mean, how many couples do you work, how many married couples do you guys work with in your practice? Do you have any idea? Uh, we serve somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 Okay. All right. So all 400 couples. I mean, why is it? I mean, do you see that it's true that every married couple struggles with money in one form or the other in their marriage? In some form or fashion, that is absolutely true. Again, the the primary reason, as Cassie said, is because uh, all of the financial decision-making has been either seized by one partner in, in the marriage or abdicated by the other. Uh, so it's seized or abdicated, so it's either one. Mm-hmm. Can be. Well, so Cassie, when uh, I'm just kind of interested. So when you this, I didn't tell you to ask this question, but that's okay. When <laughs> you wrote this article and you send it out in your blog, so the, the article was dated March the 14th of this year, mm-hmm. and like, what kind of responses did you get? Did you get people coming back going, "I can't believe you wrote that," or what kind of responses did you get? Oh, no, I think it's more agreement. I think people acknowledge that there are money challenges in marriage. And and part of it is, you know, our upbringing, our different upbringings, our different experiences. So even somebody like Rick and I, who are both financial advisors, who are both used to handling money, we have a slightly different approach to money. And I think in every couple, one person is more of a saver and one person is more of a spender. And the challenge is to find that great balance between the two. Well, that never causes any issues, having a spender and a saver. That's not, that's not a big deal. Uh, sarcasm inserted. Oh, yeah. Sar- sarcasm noted heavily. All right. So when – but I think part of the issue is that we were all raised differently on how to handle money. Rick, how were you raised to handle money? Well, I got no instruction or guidance whatsoever around that. I had a, a very difficult upbringing, uh, lived in poverty, really, raised by a single mom, and we didn't have any money. So uh, – I think as an adult, uh, you know, Cassie mentioned one partner is usually a saver and one a spender. I'm probably the spender in the marriage. Actually, there's no no probably about it. I didn't have no probable. I'm overcompensating. (laughs) Nice, nice. Oh boy, there's a discussion over dinner tonight. All right, so Cassie, how were you raised handling money? Well, you know, I had, you know, I grew up in a middle-class household. Both my parents were there. Um, I really had what I needed 
but we did not talk about money. So, you know, when I got older, like uh, out of college, my dad would say to me, okay, we're going to, you're going to pay off this loan and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. But I really, um, it wasn't like a teaching experience. It was just, I got direction. So that did allow me to make some mistakes in my past in terms of, you know, spending and debt and those kinds of things. I didn't really learn great skills in the beginning, but now I have that experience to reflect back on. Well, before you married Rick, Cassie, how did you handle money? I mean, did, had you had you gotten it? I mean, is there did it have to change after you got married? I mean, what was it like before and after? Okay, so before I married Rick, and so I don't think it's any secret, and we've talked about this before that I've been married before. Uh, I was always the breadwinner of the family, and part of that was, you know, I was always very focused on success and more and that sort of thing. So I was a controller. And I would say, I made this money. It's up to me to spend it. I was, I was very controlling. I was not a good partner when it came to money. And uh, marrying Rick, you know, I really got to learn from him what it was like to have a great partner and to be in unity about these kind of issues and to really talk about things and make decisions together. Now, Rick, what about, oh, go ahead, Martha. Well, I just want, it, it, it's interesting because, so if we're saying that the issue with a lot of couples is the fact that only one person is handling the money, yet you've learned from Rick, is that because, and you do it to, you know, you are, you see it more as a partnership. How, why do you see more people not looking at it that way? Just because they don't want to deal with it and they don't want to do the hard work to, to figure out the teamwork? Or why do you think that there's so many couples trying to do this one with one person in charge? Right. So I am going to make a little bit of a generalization because it's not always true, but very often women will say uh, it's too confusing. It's too overwhelming. I I can't do it. I don't want to know about it. And I always say, like, I came from a healthcare background, so I didn't know anything about finances until later in life. And I feel like if you can learn that, you can l- certainly learn about how to manage money. And um, once you keep saying to your husband, I don't want to know about it, I don't want to know about it, and you just handle it, they kind of give up asking, is what mm-hmm. I've seen. Like, many times husbands want their wives to be involved. And then that leads to the ultimate problem of, you know, when something happens to the husband and the wife has never had to deal with money before, and they are really overwhelmed and I think very susceptible to making uh, bad decisions in a very emotional time because they've never been involved before. Hmm. So, Rick, before you married Cassie, how did you handle money? Well, I had to handle both my own personal finances and the finances of a uh, growing business. So there's, there's two pieces to that, but, um, you know, I always tried to seek out wise counsel when making financial decisions. And, and that is to get the input of people I know well and hold in the highest regard and have great trust, uh, in their judgment. Okay. But you know, you just said that you're the spender though. So how did you yeah, if you were running, if you were managing the books of a business and and your personal books, but you're the spender, how did you? I mean, you said you sought wise counsel, but did they use a two by four to keep you from spending? I mean, how, <laughs> how did they keep? I mean, because a spender is a spender, and they like to go shopping and they like to buy stuff, and you know, it, how did you keep it under control? 
Well, when I say I'm a spender, I'm not extravagant at all. But, you know, there's okay. a, a certain limit at which, even in our marriage now, you know, Cassie and I don't make any purchases that are above $500 in our family without consulting the other first. And that's just something I've always lived by, you know, even though I have the proclivity to be a spender. If I was going to contemplate any major purchase, I would always get some outside perspective on that. Hmm. Those are good words. And that's a really good guardrail in a marriage. We often talk about that. And I think just drawing attention to that, that as a couple having that discussion is saying, you know, what is the threshold that we are going to involve each other in a purchase before we even make it? Not, you know, and I I think a lot of people struggle with that because they think, oh, well, that's controlling and I need permission. But that's the whole teamwork approach, don't you think? Yeah, you know what? It's really about accountability, and that has a bad rap. That word has a bad rap. But mm-hmm. when you start... Well, only um, to having... politicians, Cassie. <laughs> it only has a bad rap to politicians. <laughs> when, when one person has, has all the responsibility, even if that's what you've chosen, and even if they're trying to make really good decisions, you can kind of veer off the path and start making some bad decisions, uh, even if you weren't intending to, and I, I guess that's what I was seeing in this season of, you know, somebody trying to make really good decisions, trying to keep their spouse happy, but then racking up debt at the same time and not being open about that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just this, this temptation uh, when you're in it by yourself to be secretive or to get off track, even if you didn't mean to. Um, And so just having another person in it and having some accountability and having someone talk through it helps you to be a good decision maker. Well, and I know you brought up debt. There's a lot of things that couples will struggle with, that that money troubles, and debt would be one of those things. But what do you you see as some of the the real problem instigators in the financial side of couples? Either one of you. Go ahead. Go, Rick. Why don't you, what, what do you see most often? Well, certainly from a very young age, uh, credit cards are a big, big challenge. You know, the first thing you get when you register at college your freshman year is a, a credit card application. And a T-shirt. And, well, and a T-shirt. Free T-shirt. <laughs> well, come on. Didn't you guys get the free T-shirt with the credit card? I mean, I know that I did. I don't remember that part. Oh, come but, on. Uh... Now you're making me sound old. Oh, that was mean. That was just mean. Cassie, tell me you got a T-shirt with your first credit card. Uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> she doesn't want to get uh, raked over the coals. Okay, Rick, going back to credit cards. All right, so credit cards become a major issue for people. Yeah, and then just, uh, you know, the whole thing about keeping up with the Joneses, I, I see that as one of the major challenges in making wise financial choices. Uh, you know, having uh, the nicest home, nice automobile, clothes, you know, lifestyle in general, uh, always upping the ante on that is really what gets a lot of folks into trouble. You know, that the the whole comparison thing. Okay. Our guests today, Rick and Cassie Lehman from Beacon Wealth. You can find out more about them online at beaconwealth.com. We're talking today about an article they wrote back. Well, Cassie wrote it with Rick's editing back in March called Money and Your Marriage. And we were about ready, we were starting to go through this list of what are some of the major problems that we see the couples face. So I want to get through that list quickly because I want to start talking about some of the solutions to the deal. But Rick, you brought up keeping up with the Joneses causes people a lot of issues. And what I love best when I went through Crown Financial Ministries was 
Everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses, but you know what? The Joneses are in debt up to their eyeballs. Nobody knows that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then we talked about credit card spending. Cassie, what about for you? What do you see people consistently struggling with? Well, you know, one of the temptations, and I think especially when you get married, is that uh, people want to keep their own accounts because they say, well, I want my own spending money, and I don't want to have to answer to anybody about that. And again, and I know I touched on this earlier, that um, any time that you're not having accountability, I think that that can lead to a danger zone. So we don't even have our own accounts for a little spending money or gift buying or anything. I think it's really helpful to keep everything together. And but what, uh, we, when, did, we just stop, stop there for a second. Why? Yeah. Why? Because, because I, a lot of people will go, well, what's, what's the harm in having separate accounts? I just think, that, and I guess I'm just speaking from experience, there's a temptation for secrecy. Or let's just say you decided, what's the big deal to buy a few lottery tickets? And then you decide, I'm going to buy a few lottery tickets every day. And all of a sudden, you've gotten yourself into a really um, bad habit, and you didn't have anybody to help you there to see it coming. Like there was nobody to talk to you about it or have the accountability. So I just feel like even though it's not intentional, there's just a, a temptation to, you know, maybe step off the path that you really want to be on. And I can see that really happening. One of the things that Jim and I've been really surprised with is the younger generations just not even considering that they should merge their accounts, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's, that it's a hassle. No, um, this spouse is going to pay the mortgage and this spouse is going to pay the insurances and this spouse is going to do this and this spouse is going to do that. And how do you overcome that then when you're talking with those couples? Yeah, I think there is, you know, a a challenge in that. So if you're trying to keep everything separate, I think my question would be, why? why? Like, are you wanting to keep it separate so it's easy when you get a divorce not to have Mm. to separate things? You know, there's just this whole level of commitment um, in, in merging everything together. And it's scary. You know, you're really saying, I'm all in. And um, I think especially for young people today who see all the divorce happening, who Mm -hmm. see how quickly things can fall apart if you're not really committed, it might appear to be easier to keep things separate. And I would just really encourage them to, you know, work together and work toward a place where you are merging everything together. Well, and and I would agree. I think that one of the things I would say on that is that it's God intended for the two to become one. And you can't become one if you got separate checking accounts. You, you yeah. just you can't. There's too much. Amen. There's too much. Too much danger in that one. You know, and just mm-hmm. to take that a step further, having one person handling all of them and the other not feeling like they can have access to it—that's mm-hmm. a level of secrecy too. That is very dangerous because then it's like I have no idea what. Yes, maybe they said I don't want to know. It's too confusing. You know, it's overwhelming. Or they had a big fight at some point and said, you know what, you just take it. And, and those are things that happen to people, but then you get to the point where the other spouse doesn't know how to get into the, your own bank account or doesn't know, know how much money they even have in the bank account. That is a level of secrecy that goes above the separate accounts issues as well. So there's, there are a lot of dynamics that play a role. So, Rick, when you, get a new, when you get a new client into your office, Rick, when you, how, do you and Cassie focus on helping them understand their finances and their obedience in handling money a biblical way? I mean, do you guys, is training on good stewardship part of working with them on their financial plan? 
Yeah, it really is part and parcel. You know, our very first conversation we have with a client, we call it the vision clarifier. And really it's about identifying what values are most important to each of them as individuals and then what shared values they have in common so that we can really hone in on what's most important, what it is we need money to do for them so that they can live that out. And uh, really it is about being uh, wise and faithful stewards of something that is only ours, you know, very temporarily. Cassie, how do you see people receiving that? When you guys, when people come in, I'm sure you run into couples all the time that really don't have a great understanding of the biblical perspective on finance and stewardship. How do you see people receiving that from you and Rick? Actually, it is very positive because we ask them to talk about things that they might not be talking about. Mm-hmm. And we have, we call it a game, but we have a um, game, card game where you have the different values and each couple ranks them. And then it's not just a matter of ranking. It's, we then say, okay, well, what does that mean to you? If you say, I want to maintain my lifestyle or I want to be a generous giver, we say, be like, talk about that. What does that mean to you? And we record that. And every time we go through this, whether they're newly married or couples that have been together for 30 or 40 years, they love it. And they say, you know what? We never really talked about that before. Or in some cases, you know, people are very much in alignment and they say, we talk about it all the time. But they love that um, they really got to hear their spouse's heart on a lot of different issues. So what scriptures do you guys use to reinforce the biblical perspective on on how a couple should be handling their money? Well, we so when I wrote the article, I really was I, I told you kind of what I was going through and what was in my mind and on my heart. And uh, so that was Genesis 2:24, which really talks about and you mentioned Jim already when a man will leave his parents and Uh, join his wife and they're in unity. But we actually uh, have scriptures for every value. So when someone goes through and says, okay, this this is my most important value, we have a packet that we give them that has all of these biblical truths in them. So let's say that someone says, okay, the very most important thing is that I want to make sure we educate our family members. Proverbs 22.6 says, start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So we just have lists of all of the uh, scripture that go along with the values, and so people can really start to make those connections. Hey, we're talking today with Rick and Cassie Lehman from Beacon Wealth. You can find them online at beaconwealth.com. They're on the air today because of an article that they wrote that I got a hold of called Money and Your Marriage, and I thought it was a perfect topic for a Tuesday show because money and marriage, if there's two things that would appear to be like oil and water or fire and gasoline, it would be money and marriage. I mean, Rick, when you hear, when a guy comes into your office, let's say he comes in without his wife, do, do you ever hear a guy brag on uh, on his wife and on her spending and how she spends? I mean, a lot of times, guys, when they're with guys, are going to talk about their wives and how they misspend. Do you, have you ever seen that before? 
I have seen and heard much of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then, Cassie, when, when you happen to be sitting with a, a woman who comes in before she and her husband come in, do you ever hear that wives complain about husbands controlling or maybe they're spending ridiculous money, too? I mean, do, do they come in and tattletale as well? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it goes both ways. <laughs> so I, I love this game that you're talking about playing with people that you actually get them to state things. You're almost doing a counseling appointment with them, getting them to talk about things that they don't talk about. But let's talk about some of the solutions to this. What are three things that we absolutely need to do in our finances in order to handle them responsibly with good stewardship, with a biblical perspective in mind? What, what are those things? So the most important thing, and Kathy hit on it uh, just a moment ago, and that is really to commit to unity. That is the number one prevailing biblical principle in our marriages, whether we're talking about finances or parenting or anything else, and that is to be committed to being in agreement with our spouse because God favors unity. What is it? But what? Okay, but Cassie, describe that. What does that mean to a woman? Well, and so I think about this in terms of, like, I think about this with men more than I think about with women. But, you, you know, let's say the husband comes home and says, all right, I'm going to make this new big purchase. And the wife says, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, well, it's in my mind. I'm going to do it anyway. It could go either way, right? The wife could say the same thing. Um, and it's will, being willing to say, that my spouse is not comfortable with this for some reason. Let's sit down and talk about it versus being angry or going out and making the purchase anyway. It's really hearing your spouse's heart and saying, like, why are you against this? Or, you know, what are your concerns? And working through those together so that you can be at peace. And sometimes you're going to have to let some things go so that you can be in unity with your spouse. Well, There's well, compromise that, there. Well, so that's really your second point then. So being mm. unity, but that involves a couple of other things, uh, compromising and learning about each other. What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, yeah I that's, think that's, that's actually a good question. What does that look like for you and Rick? Oh, well, yes. Well, that's, that's a great question. So um, we both have our strengths and weaknesses. I think this is true for all of you know, all different couples. And so when there is a big purchase to be made, um, we really sit down and we, we talk about it. Rick is the researcher, and I'm okay with that, and he will come up with every option and all of the costs. And we really evaluate things together on a regular basis. Is this something we need? Is this a want? How is this going to benefit us? And we really make all of those decisions together. And, and Rick talked about, you know, we kind of have a $500 spending limit, but truth be told, we really tell each other about things that are much smaller than that. If I spend $50, I'll say, hey, by the way, just, I just want us to be really above board, and I don't want there to be secrets about anything. I don't want there to be any surprises, not even secrets. I don't want there to be surprises. Right. Well, and it's really what you what you guys have just described is that we need to work together as a team, a well-oiled machine, both everybody on the same page. All right, Rick and Cassie, as we're running out of time, I want to make sure we get a chance to ask these questions. If you find a husband and wife come in to meet with you guys as financial advisors, and you find out they are they're not just not on the same page. They're not even reading the same book. <laughs> Do you guys have a class that you send them to? You know, absolutely. We uh, try to plug those types of folks into uh, a local uh, Crown Ministries study at a local church or a compass or 
Uh, even refer them to a counselor as appropriate if they're really in deep. Mm, that's great. That is good. So uh, you didn't mention uh, the other one, the guy that's got a radio show. <laughs> Ramsey. Yeah. Is that, is that because it's not direct enough or or just forget that one? Because <laughs> I, I, like, I like Crown and I like Compass very, very much because it's so biblically I mean, it just it makes people memorize scripture. I love it. Yeah, it's very deeply rooted in the word. So we we definitely prefer those two as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So Rick and Cassie, as you guys, you know, how do you keep? What do you guys do intentionally in your marriage to keep the conversations about money and possessions and retirement and savings and all these things? What do you do to keep those conversations fresh? How how do you what intentionality do you build into your marriage to make sure that there never becomes a divide because of money? Well, before we were ever even married, we took a little class on, you know, how to make sure that we were on top of all of these things and we were introduced to the concept of what we call now the Sunday night meeting. And every Sunday night, whether we're together or not, if somebody's traveling, Sunday nights at 7 is the Sunday night meeting. And that is a review of the past week. It's a look forward to what's on our calendar for the week ahead. But it's also a time to talk about any issues that have come up in the week. So not just money issues, but there's a lot of things that can be hot topics right in the moment. You're very emotional about it, and you know you're not going to have a productive conversation. So those things can be saved for Sunday night. And then you can talk about it in a very matter-of-fact way and not necessarily be tied to the emotions of the moment. And that weekly meeting has been probably one of the most productive things that we could ever have learned for our marriage. That's now, great. Is this something that you guys practiced in your uh, in your previous marriage, Cassie? Did you do that in your previous marriage? No. no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Rick, any comment on that? Uh, no, I was married previously also, and uh, we didn't have any communication around these topics. So, so this what is a, a brand new uh, strategy for both of us. And how much time, I love to get to really practical, so for our listeners' sake, like how much time do you spend on your Sunday night meeting? Is it a half hour probably? or yeah, Typically, yeah. About, about okay. 30 minutes if there's not something yeah. particularly big that we're working through, yeah. I love giving it a name because we've talked about that very idea with people for years saying you have to have time where you're sitting down together and really going back to those issues that you couldn't talk about in the heat of the moment. And so I love that. How often does prayer play into this, Rick? Wow, that's one thing that we've talked a lot about, the praying together, you know, face-to-face prayer, but we haven't... uh, gotten off the dime, so to speak, with that, but is uh, certainly a priority. But, uh, you know, we want to be very prayerful and deliberate about all of our big decision-making. Mm-hmm. So uh, we tend not to make decisions quickly because of that, and mm-hmm. um, I think so, that's worked well for us. So here's the challenge to, to make sure you're praying together every day. So are you guys praying together every day, just not about money things, or are you still working on that praying together every day? Uh, we are working on it. Awesome. Well, there's something we'll follow up with you on that one. I love it. Now it's on. Now it's <laughs> recorded for the national radio. <laughs> Rick and Cassie Lehman with Beaconwell. Thanks for being on iWork for him today, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us.
Check these two out online on beaconwealth.com, beaconwealth.com. In fact, you can sign up for their news for their blog at beaconwealth.com. That was a great conversation, Martha. That was, sure was. And, and now they're going to be praying together every day. <laughs> You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's our mission field. But ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.